It's news from heaven. Despair can be helpful. When things seem like they're going totally wrong, it actually might be that they're going okay, that they're going according to plan. When things aren't going great in a day, we say, man, I'm bummed. Do we say that? Do you say that? Or if things go pretty terrible in a day, you say, this was a, I'm feeling, I'm feeling bad. And then if you've been bad for days and days, you might say, I'm feeling depressed. But only when life is totally falling apart, when things have gone horrifically wrong, stuff is messed up, then we hit this feeling that is called despair, right? Despair is the ultimate indicator that nothing is going right, that you've been forgotten by God, by destiny, by life, that, that somehow things have converged so that you're, you're screwed. Or is it? <laughs> Could it be that despair is part of the natural life cycle? Because we're kind of always in this, the clouds in your mind are constantly trying to get you as low as possible. If you would normally be, you know, decently happy, they want to get you mildly agitated. If you would normally be uh, just getting by, they want you to be struggling. And if you would normally be barely making it, they want you to feel like you can't make it. But once in a while, it seems like they can really push us even below that. To just, like, I just, I can't do it. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, this is this is too much. I can't do it. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. Let's look at how, I'm not saying that every time we get put into that state, it's a cause for celebration, but I'm going to say you can't get anywhere good without going through that state, believe it or not. This is from Secrets of Heaven. Well, let's just see what it, I don't know. Don't say believe it. Let's just read through it and see what it's talking about. I would like to be educated as well because... Despair sure does seem like something I would love to avoid at all costs. Convince me, Swedenborg, why I've got to take occasional day trips to despair. Take those people who attribute everything to their own prudence and little or nothing to divine providence. Oh, who are these people we're talking about? Well, that would be, if you want to untangle this Swedenborgianese here, Attributing everything to their own prudence and little or nothing to divine providence. Your own prudence is your your brain. This is your ability to think through, well, how's my life going? It's my own prudence. My own prudence is, is getting it done. Well, because why? Because I think about threats that are coming in and I plan for those things and I calculate and I change my behaviors and I think about probabilities and I'm trying to not have bad stuff happen and have good stuff happen. I'm trying to arrange my life so things will go well. That's what my prudence is. Why is everybody where they are? Well, it's because of how well they manage things, right? Isn't that what everybody believes? If there a problem arises in our lives, who, who's got to solve it? We do. That's what it is to attribute everything to your own prudence. If you got out of a bad situation, you say, well, I got myself out of there. That's what your own prudence is. Sure, you get help from people, but you're the one in charge, right? That's what it is. So who's, who's that? Come on, hands. Hands up. Alone in front of your phone, hands up. Little or nothing to divine providence. I mean, we we genuinely believe. Here's if we're if we're looking out at the elements of our lives, just these squiggly shapes. Picture these as the things you feel responsible for, or the things you're facing. Uh, the the totality of what you've got in life. You've got to manage this, right? What percentage do we think God, not as some 
weird abstraction or somebody who takes care of the whole but not the particulars is actually acutely aware of every particular. So your state of your job, the state of your mind, the state of your family, the state of your health, the state of your memories or some particular issue, that God is actually acutely managing that. And if we were to zoom in closer, that we think, but who cares about this stuff, right? Who's really like, oh, you know, sure, you're God, you see everything, you got business to attend to up and around here and all over the place. You know, you got a million other people out here. You got person X, person Y. Who really cares? I, you might say, oh yeah, this is another problem to solve, God. But this is like, this is my life. This is this thing I know so intimately and care so much about. Isn't it me that cares about these things the most? Sure, God may care about them. God is very nice, very kind person. Wouldn't, wouldn't turn a cold eye, shoulder, hand, towards this stuff. But it's the, God doesn't have the same heart in it that I do. Attributing everything to divine providence is the belief that actually our welfare, which is what the sum total of what we're looking for in here, we care next to nothing about our own welfare and know next to nothing, actually nothing, about how to make it come about. That, that God actually is the one that wakes up with our our personal welfare on his agenda, more, more so than we do. So that's the stage. Wouldn't it be great? Okay, well, I'm, I promise we will eventually read more than one sentence, but not yet. Wouldn't it be great to believe that, that God, who, by the way, all power, all intelligence, all wisdom, the ultimate go-getter, good-doer. This is exactly who you would want to. Think about if you're renovating your house. We will read another sentence. Just wait. Just calm down. Think about if you were going to have your house renovated. And think about if you were not the kind of person who's good at interior design. Not the kind of person who's super handy. And let's say you're like, okay, we're going to get the whole house redone. Would you rather like scratch your head and look through catalogs and try to figure out what do I do here and how do I, or would you want to say, look, there's an international architect from like Italy who's going to, the best in the business and this best building company, they're going to come in, talk to you, or they know because they've studied you your whole life with your data. I know this is a weird metaphor. They've studied you your whole life with all your data. They know exactly what you want and they're going to do it on this level. You could never, of course you would want expertise taking care of all the fragile, complex parts of you. Wouldn't it be great to think that God is actually doing that with every little bit of everything that we're going through, that exists in our life? Take that burden off of me. You, you're going to take this project on, this fixer-upper of, of me? Wouldn't that be great to believe? It's true. It's what's really happening, right? Well, wouldn't that be great to have confidence in that? That's what it is to believe in divine providence. So that's the prize. That's the goal that we're getting to. It would be worth just about anything to get there, right? So how do we get there and why? Okay, sentence number two. Even if thousands of reasons are produced to prove that divine providence is universal, but universal because it exists in every least thing and that not even a hair falls from the head, 
that is nothing however small exists that has not been foreseen and that has not been provided accordingly. Wow, good thing I, and this sentence is huge. Their state of thought regarding their own prudence would remain unaltered except for the brief moment when they feel convinced by such arguments. So I'll raise you one. I will raise you one. Nothing however small. So with all this universal and every least thing, that means you can't just say God's in charge of everything and he's not in charge of your coffee mug. God is in every particular. It's not that God has delegated some things and it checks up on them once in a while. God is in every, and coffee mug is silly, but if we were going to say your, you know, your care for your children or your desire to be seen in a certain way, or your confusion about a certain part of you. That, there's nothing too small. Even stuff that we don't even, doesn't really come to the surface for us. All that stuff is not just known, but has been foreseen and provided accordingly. That God has got a, not just a plan for you, but a plan for every little thing in between. Okay? So that's pretty great, and it's really impossible to believe because it seems exactly like you're just doing your stuff in your own life. You're alone in the walls of your head. Even if we got... So the, all of us, I would say, but he's mentioning people who believe in their own prudence. I think it's pretty much all of us. We get a brief moment where we feel convinced of such arguments. Let's say that, yeah, okay, you hear it. It sounds good, but then you go back to your regular life, and you just can't snap out of that. Indeed, if the same matter were proved to them by actual experiences, they would, while witnessing or taking part in such experiences, acknowledge the truth of it. But after a short while, they would revert to their previous outlook. Ah, I thought if God would just come and show, just pull back the curtain for a second and say, look, I am taking care of everything, then I would know and I'd be free of that. I'd go forward fearlessly in life with great joy in everything that I did. But Swedenborg is saying, and he saw this happen, not just with people, but with spirits that... You can be shown the truth, but you very quickly, was that really true? You, you forget it. You forget it or you deny it. Why? Because there's something in us that actively is blocking that embracing of that truth. And nothing that's not embraced out of freedom and love stays with us. So there's something in us that's in the way of us being happy. Well, that's dumb. Let's get it out of there. Such experiences have a fleeting effect on people's thought, but not on their affection. Because it changes our mind, but it doesn't change our heart. It doesn't change what we care about in life, what we love, what we want. And unless the affection is broken down, the thought remains in its same state as before. For the thought receives its conviction and its life from the affection. So we've got certain things, good and bad in us, that make up what we care about, right? There's our heart. It's a little bit jaggy because it might be good, it might be bad. This could be something like, yeah, you care about things in your life. You also care about yourself. You care about being better. You love it when people compliment you above other people. You love it when things turn out well for you. You love it when your enemies, things turn out poorly for them. You like getting revenge. In little ways, of course we do. And... There is a level at which we don't want to acknowledge dependence on God because that would diminish our opinion of ourselves because we're proud of like what we can do. I know probably some of you are saying like, I would give that up, but it's so rooted, it's so the core, it's hard to give that up 
because it's like what makes up our life initially. But we can get there. And the negative, the so ego-based stuff that we have in us is keeping our minds hostage. Because if you think of this as the mind, as a brain, you can learn all kinds of things, new input can come in here, but the brain, the heart comes in and says, what are you doing here? No, no, no. We need to arrange things so that this, what I love, remains true. So if my deepest love is for myself to be seen as the greatest person ever, we need to have a world in which people get the credit for how their life is going because that creates the matrix in which I can be the best. Even if that often creates a world where I'm miserable because I don't feel like I'm the best, we want to keep that world alive because it allows for me to, me to have hope for my greatest dream, which is to be the best. I don't know if this is exactly how it's going in you or in me or anything, but I'm just trying to get us, how could it be that something is blocking? It's something along those lines. But when the feelings, okay. But when the feelings of distress and grief enter into them because they have no power at all that is their own to do anything, and those feelings reach their point of despair, their firm persuasion is broken down and their state altered. Here we have our hero, despair. The worst feeling in the world, but yet, despair creates the condition that this negative heart can be broken down and our state altered. The state where we can come to love and believe that God, the freedom we're all looking for the state has to be altered. And the only way is, what kind of despair is this? We have no power at all. Unless the will is changed to acknowledge that we have no power at all, you can never believe truly that God has all the power in your life. That uh, makes sense mathematically to me. One being can have the power in your life. <laughs> is it you or is it God? Well, it's, it's mostly me. I mean, God, I don't even know if God exists. God hasn't really said a word to me my whole life. Is it you or is it God, right? And is it, or is it like some kind of hybrid? No, it's, so it's one. Do we believe that the life coming into us, the ability to do good things, the trajectory our minds are on, that those are actually shaped by God, is the life in us from God? And is the plan for us God's? Who architects our life? Is it us or is it God? The only way you're ever gonna believe that it's God, actually, when the appearance is so strong, that you are an autonomous, independent being is to experience, okay, well, the reason you think you have power to do stuff and to, to run your life is because I've always been uh, subsidizing you, says God or something. I've always been subsidizing you. I've always been giving you the ability to, to go forward and do things. You don't know what it's like to not have that in. So because I love you and because... I want to give you this freedom that you want but don't know how to get to, I'm going to do something that's going to hurt for a little while because I'm going to pull back a little bit on my aid and you're going to start to just feel a little bit of, not totally, but a hint of what it's like on your own. What it would, and it's just a theoretical possibility because you can never actually be on your own. God doesn't ever leave anyone. But I've just got to show you that it's not you. And so God pulls back and whatever chaos is unfolding in our lives, bringing us down into this feeling of despair. Like, this is too much. I am hitting bottom here. 
That's when the persuasion is broken down and the state altered. In this case, they can be brought to a conviction that they have, not just to an idea that fleets in and feels good for a minute, then goes to a conviction that they have no power that is their own to do anything. And that all power, prudence, intelligence, and wisdom originate in the Lord. That every good idea we've ever had, every ability to execute it, even the ability to move your body when you're gesticulating, when you're talking, that comes, that is in the moment coming from God into us. That we are not originating that stuff. And that conviction that we have no power to do on our own, to do anything, that all this stuff sources from the Lord, that is the first step to happiness. And listen, just put on, put on hold for a second the question of what, will I, what, what does that make me if I'm, we're something. I know this is the next question, people. We, we are something, okay? Right now, you're under siege. You've got the dark clouds, right, trying to drag you down into a place where you'll despair and die, right? We got to get you out of there, okay? Listen, God is not trying to rob you. God is trying to help you. That's from Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings. He's trying to help you. And you know what? Sorry. I just was watching Lord of the Rings. Have you ever seen it? It's good. Gandalf, oh, come on. Let me just, I'm talking to you about spirits and stuff. I can't talk to you about fantasy wizards. Gandalf is a wizard, okay? And he's wise and he knows that there's this problem. There's a ring that a little guy has and that ring is going to corrupt him and cause all kinds of problems. It's going to, it's going to actually kill him eventually. And, but the little guy really loves that ring. Okay. He loves that ring and he wants to keep it for himself. And Gandalf is like, come on, just put it down. And the little guy whose name is Bilbo says, no, I don't want to put it down. I don't want to put it down. And so Gandalf has to, in the movie, get scary for a second. And he, he puffs up, he looks like menacing. And he says, I, um, don't take me for a conjurer of cheap tricks. He scares him. And then at the end of it, he says, I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. And that scares Bilbo enough that he's like, okay, I'll put it down. Because while Bilbo feels like, don't take this ring from me. We feel like, don't take this. I'm, I'm self-glory. Whatever the potential is, don't take this from me. Gandalf knows, look, that's going to kill you and you'll be happy without it. And I have to, but you won't give it to me unless I scare you a bit. Because that's just the nature of of the psyche. So the despair is us being scared a bit, let go of that ring, and suddenly feel the, the freedom of heaven. And because the ring, man, okay, someday I'll do a whole show about Lord of the Rings. The ring is what makes it so all the bad guys can find and attack whoever has the ring, and more than that. But just like all these dark clouds, all of hell, it's because we're holding on to this self Uh, ego, love. That's how they get all their access to us. So as we let go of that, this is is how the dark clouds suddenly don't have any power. This is how you graduate from this news of heaven screen that we're always doing here. All right. All right. News from heaven. Did I say news of heaven? I sound like someone who doesn't know what this show is all about. The same is true of people who believe that their faith is self-derived and their good self-derived. So it's not all just one kind of person. It's not just all about power. But even if you think, oh, I have great faith, look at me, or, or I have a great spiritual principles, or I have great in- intellect, or that I'm a really good person, 
it's awesome to be doing that. It's awesome to know that stuff. But the more you think it's coming from you rather than from God, the more that gives hell access to you. Let a further example illustrate the matter. Take those who have become, who have become firmly persuaded that once they have been made righteous, they, no evil resides with them any longer. So I got religion. I'm not evil. But, that, but has been completely wiped away and destroyed, and thus that they are pure. Thousands of arguments could be used to make it clear that nothing is wiped away or destroyed, but that those people are withheld from evil and maintained in good by the Lord, who from the life of good which they have led in the world are such that they can be withheld from evil and maintained in good by him. So we bring the same thing to morality. Even angels are only angels because God is holding them back. There's a humility that comes if you think, look at that person over there who fell into some kind of evil. Man, I would never do that. We would on our own. And again, that's a whole other discussion, but Swedenborg says we have the tendency that, yeah, we would on our own. In addition to these arguments, they could be convinced from experiences that they themselves are nothing but evil. Oh, man. That on our own, we would just, like, we have all the cravings of evil in us. And if we were just left without God's goodness, you couldn't help diving into that stuff because it feels good. Indeed, that they are nothing but utter filthy masses of evil. Ah, I'm going to get a shirt that says that. It's good. It's good. Don't don't feel guilty about it. It's good. We're, ju- we're not trying to rob you. Okay? We're not trying to rob you. We're trying to help. But in spite of all those arguments and experiences, they would still not depart from their opinion and belief. But when they are brought into a particular state in order that they may perceive hell within themselves, and perceiving this so clearly as to despair the possibility of their own salvation, that firm persuasion is for the first time broken down, and with it, their pride and contempt for all others in comparison with themselves, and also their arrogant assumption that they are the only ones who are saved. Wow! This is a whole different one. It's a whole different category. Because, sure, powerlessness, I need God. But this is to say, if you're sitting there saying, look at me, I'm good, the rest of the world can go to hell because they're evil. The experience of seeing, like, wow, I, I would fall so deeply into everything I criticize other people for. It's in, like I, I have those tendencies just like everyone else, and those would totally overwhelm me. I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this. I am, I'm in hell, and I just don't know if I can get out. And to see that without the Lord pulling those strings up, that I would just be gone. I would be depraved. Okay, even, even saying that to me, like right now, I don't, am I really? Do I have that? Although I could, you know, I could see it. But that experience leading to the despair of the possibility of their own salvation. What does it do? The persuasion is broken down. Oh, with it, their pride. So we get rid of that pride. The pride is the ring. I mean, the pride is what keeps you away. And their contempt for all others in comparison with themselves. If you have that, which we do, you at some level think that person is just not as great as I am on whatever level you can never be happy because you don't love people then. And if you don't love people, you're not happy. Also, their arrogant assumption that they are the only ones who are saved. Get that out of here too. They can now be brought into a true confession of faith, not merely to the confession that all good comes from the Lord, but also that all things exist because of his mercy. And at length, they can be brought into humility of heart before the Lord, the existence of which is impossible without acknowledgement of what they are in themselves. They never could have got there. From this, it is now evident why those who are being reformed or becoming spiritual are brought into the state of vastation or desolation dealt with in the verses previous to this, and how, when experiencing this state, even to the point of despair, 
they for the first time receive comfort and help from the Lord. New kind of comfort and help. Like now we see things as they really are. It's going to hurt for a minute, but then you're going to be free because that life that we have before, the life of, oh, look at that. Everyone else is not as good as me. I want to be better than everyone. Whatever your particular things are, that's not life. It's misery. Sometimes it feels good. A lot of the time it feels bad because it allows your head weather to criticize you and make you fearful over what you have and might lose and you hurt yourself and others. And it's not, it's not happiness. Being freed of that and being successively more and more freed of that as we go through these difficult stages in life, that's when we get actual comfort. Because there's, there's ego comfort and there's actual comfort. Ego comfort is, ah, things started going well for me. Actual comfort is things are always going well all the time and what I want is not to be better than this person or to win at this thing or to have this possession what I want is to love and to get to be participating in the the grand will of God for everything and to know that every little hair on my head is cared for that's that's comfort that's comfort and help and that is a better life and that's the news from heaven what do you think tough pill despair can be good despair can be helpful does it, does it ring true for you at all? That's fine. Let me know in the comments either way. Thank you so much for hanging out. Uh, if you go to offtheleftout.com slash donate, you can help support this, make this despair-inducing programming happen on the internet. And I uh, hope you take this out into your week and do something with it. Again, let us know what that is and, and how it works well for you because we want to try to change the world for the better. So, um, man, that was fun. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you really soon. Bye.